0: Carol Gold.
1: Hi, it's Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. I doubt there's anyone within listening distance of my voice who does not know, or at least who does not feel, that there are significant things happening in the culture and in the country that are disturbing. And before I get into the bigger picture, which is where I want to go around all of what is happening, I want to highlight two stories that broke today. One concerns Washington, D.C., the city of Washington, D.C. The city of Washington, D.C. is going to offer more than $200,000 to people wanting to buy a home within the district. And they're going to be able to use that $200,000 as a down payment to help them buy the home. The alleged purpose of this gift, by the way, which of course are taxpayer dollars coming from other people who've paid their taxes, the gift supposedly is to help people remain in the district, to keep people who want to live in the district able to continue to live in the district because it's so expensive. So they're gonna get $200,000, and by the way, that's an increase from the prior amount that was available, which was $80,000. So that's jumping up $120,000 to $200,000 per person or couple, whatever, who wanna buy a home. In addition, they're going to get $4,000 toward their closing costs. And then after they're in the home, There's a program in the district called the Homeowner's Assistance Fund, which will help them pay their internet, their homeowner's insurance, their utilities, and their HOA fees, their homeowner association fees if they live in an HOA or a condo association. So just sit with that for a moment. In Austin, Texas, not far from where I live, the Austin ISD, the Independent School District, is pushing its teachers to take time off to take a course, a training. What's the training in? It's in LGBTQIA+, for children as young as five. Time off, paid time off, and taking these program trainings is at taxpayer expense. So the course that the teachers are being encouraged to take is called Be a Beacon. And it has course materials that were made public under a FOIA, under a Freedom of Information request. The materials define gender identity in this way, quote, the innermost concept of self as male, female, neither or both, end quote. Now, I highlight these two stories before I get into the meat of today's podcast because they are just the latest example. The Washington, D.C. story about the absurdity of redistribution of wealth because that's what that is. That's taking taxpayers' money, Taxpayers who probably didn't want to contribute their money toward a $200,000 plus giveaway to someone who wants to buy a home. So number one, it is the latest effort to redistribute wealth, but it's also a prelude to those people losing those homes, just like happened in 2008. Because at some point, people who need that kind of assistance to buy a home at say three or $400,000, you're going to put $200,000 down, they're most likely not going to be able to upkeep those homes or pay the taxes on them. So despite the down payment and despite the contribution to closing costs and despite the homeowner's assistance fund to help them pay the cost of actually living in the house, they're going to lose the house to the government. That's what's going to happen. And so when you hear certain people like the World Economic Forum talking about by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, that's one of the ways you're gonna own nothing. I question whether someone will be happy, but that's a whole other podcast. The Austin, Texas story speaks to what's happening to the culture. It speaks to the absolute absurdity of addressing gender with five-year-olds or for the public school system through, again, taxpayer dollars to be financing teacher training so that teachers can help children who are five years old or seven or nine or all the way K through 12, right? Who are questioning their gender. I mean, I remember growing up and I don't remember there being a lot of issues of people questioning whether they were boys or girls. We kind of knew who we were and dating went forward accordingly. So now suddenly everybody's not sure of what their sexuality is. That's a cultural problem. It's actually, as an aside, one of the first things that happened in pre-Nazi Germany. It was a complete disintegration of sexual norms and mores within the German society. It became a sexual free-for-all and incredibly perverse. That was the first thing that began to happen as that society broke down. What came shortly after that were the churches and after that, the medical community. And at that point, Hitler had everybody under control. But don't lose the connection between the breakdown of a culture and the breakdown of a society or a nation. Earlier today, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine who is a retired family physician in Austin. We were talking about how the Jews of Germany, how could they not see what was coming? How could they not sense what was going wrong around them? And I said to her, it's what's called the normalcy bias. If you don't know what the normalcy bias is, let me read you first the Wikipedia definition. Quote, the tendency for people to believe that things will always function the way they have functioned. Therefore, they underestimate both the likelihood of a disaster and its possible side effects. In other words, you interpret what's going on around you in a way that you can fit it. You can wrap your brain around a pattern of something that you're familiar with that you consider normal and you disregard those things that are outside of that framework until as in Nazi Germany it was too late i think that's happening to a segment of our population now i think there is a tendency toward the normalcy bias in human nature and i think we're living we've been living through it up until this point although I have a suspicion that people are beginning to get uncomfortable and realize that something is going on that could end really badly. So if that's the case, if people are waking up and wondering what to do, I think there are three possible ways To oppose the radical changes that are happening in the economy, in our financial system, in our education system, in our culture, in our federal government, in our agencies that are the sort of the gears of the federal government. I think there are three possible approaches to how we deal with this. The first approach is violence. Fight fire with fire, as my friend said this morning on the call. Fire with fire, violence, is what we saw in 2020 when the BLM riots and Antifa were in Portland and Seattle and did all of that destruction, took over those cities, destroyed millions of dollars of property. It's what we have seen since June 24th when the Dobbs decision came down. Over 100 attacks on pro-life gatherings and pro-life clinics since then with, by the way, not one arrest, not one arrest. And it's what happened January 6th. Those who turned what was intended to be a peaceful gathering into a riot. Violence rarely goes well. And I think particularly where we are in our national development, and with the advance of technology, the advance of surveillance, the ability, I should say, of surveillance through technology, and the lack of privacy, I think attempting to be violent against, let's say, the federal government is a losing proposition. I think there will always be people who try it. There have always been people in history who try violence, but it really does beget more violence because all violence ever does, assuming it prevails, is that there's a strong winner and a strong loser, or a, let's call it a beaten down loser, who in one way or another, for some length of time, harbors resentment and anger at the violence that was perpetrated. And eventually that turns and you get that underdog group or that beaten down group. It may be immediate, it may be a generation later, but you get the progeny of that that then turns and again commits violence. It's a vicious cycle, and I think it's a futile one. The second possibility is what Jesus taught. It's what Martin Luther King did. It's love. It's peaceful, civil disobedience. It's totally nonviolent. It's fighting violence with love, Now, some people laugh at that and would say, well, that's gonna get us far, right? What are we gonna do if the FBI or the CIA, whoever it is, you know, comes to get us as they did at Donald Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago, if they come to demand property or guns or your financial information, what are you gonna do, hug them? Well, you know, it's not that polarized, but in a sense, it is. Because what Jesus taught was, in the face of it all, you know, you love your neighbor. That love is a force not just equal to fear and violence, it's a force greater than. To the end of his life here on earth, he practiced that. He had what I would call righteous indignation in the temple when he battered the tables down and said, you know, you're, you're trading money and, and defiling my father's house, so to speak, I mean, I'm not a biblical expert, but I know this much. So I think he had righteous indignation, but he didn't rally the people to be violent. In fact, there was someone named Bar Kokhba who preceded Jesus and who many thought was the Messiah. And Bar Kokhba headed a revolt against the Roman Empire because the Jewish people at that time believed that their Messiah would be a military person that the person who would show up to avenge against the Romans would be a military-type individual who would lead a physical revolt. They were not waiting for someone to come preaching love. And Bar Kokhba is an example of how violence against especially, let's say, an empire, or today, let's say, the United States, is a futile effort. So I said physical violence was number one. Jesus or love, the path of Gandhi, Martin Luther King, is the second way to oppose tyranny or a culture gone mad or a culture going mad. But there's a third way, I believe, and I think it is the most plausible and would be the most effective, and that is using the Constitution itself. So what do I mean by that? Well, I would ask you first, have you ever heard of the Convention of States? If you have not, you can literally go to the website, conventionofstates.com. But here's what it is. The framers anticipated us getting to moments like where we are now or where we may well be after the midterms or in advance of 2024 or at or right after 2024. They saw this coming. Brilliant that they did, but they saw it coming. And in Article 5 of our Constitution, there is the right given to states to call what's called a convention of states. That convention of states can then propose amendments to the Constitution. You don't need the U.S. Congress. You don't need the president. You don't need the Supreme Court. The states can do it on their own. Individual states collectively working together and I'll explain how many that takes in a moment, can literally amend the U.S. Constitution. It takes 34 states to call the Convention of States, and then it takes 38 states to ratify any amendments that might be posed. The Convention of States that is now attempting to be organized would only allow the states to discuss amendments that, quote, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and place term limits on federal officials, end quote. So how far along is the effort for a convention of states to amend the U.S. Constitution? Well, 19 states have passed it so far. Remember, we need 34 to call the convention. We need 38 to ratify. So 19 have passed it thus far. Six others, six additional states have passed it in one of the two chambers, meaning their house or their their state house or their state Senate. And 15 of them have legislation pending this year, 2022. So add 19 that have passed, six that have passed in one chamber, and 15 that have legislation pending, that would be 40, 40 states You need 34 to call the convention. You need 38 to ratify any amendments that would be passed. At 40, we're there. We're there. I think it is the most, it's certainly the most legal, the most constitutional, the most nonviolent, the most intelligent, in my opinion, and the most effective way to get where we want to go which is to change the trajectory of where the country is headed, because the things that are happening now are things that undermine the constitution. Federal government, our centralized government is out of control. The bureaucrats in Washington are out of control. The agencies are out of control. The culture, through a completely corrupted and perverse educational system run out of the Department of Education, run by the federal government, which remember didn't exist before the 1950s, the Department of Education and the educational system and the teachers union have totally corrupted at least two generations of children who haven't learned fundamentals and certainly were never taught how to think For themselves, if you'll allow me the indulgence of using my podcast title. I think the way to fix this is to seize the moment that was gifted us in the very document that created the most extraordinary nation that's ever existed on the planet. We have that ability, but we have to be smart about it. We have to be thoughtful about it. We have to be educated about it. You have to spread the word about it. An awful lot of people have never heard of the Convention of States and don't know that 19 have already passed and that we've got enough in the sort of in the oven. We've got enough additional states, 16 in one chamber and 15 that have legislation pending to reach the threshold. And then, and then the power is back to the people. And then we, the people, begin to determine our future. Not the World Economic Forum. Not whoever is president of the United States. Not whoever are the hedge fund managers on Wall Street. Not whoever holds us hostage for oil. None of those people. Not the professors in the universities. Then we, the people using the tools we were gifted and given by the founders of this nation, who 200 plus years ago saw the potential for where we are and said, here, we're going to give you this, be smart enough to use it. Let's hope we are. I ask you one favor. Go to conventionofstates.com. See if your state has signed on. See if you're one of the six that still has to pass it in the other chamber. See if you're one of the 15. And if you are, reach out to your legislators. Tell them how you feel. Begin to talk up the Convention of States. Tell your friends. Tell anyone who will listen. Because I think of the three ways that I named, violence, civil disobedience, physically using civil disobedience, as they did in the civil rights marches in the 60s, I think those have limited effect at this time. The least effect will be violence. The next will probably be nonviolent and peaceful demonstration. But I think the home run is a convention of states. And if you look into it, I think you may as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on well, wow, today's Tuesday. I don't know, maybe tomorrow or maybe Thursday, but I'll be back again this week. Thanks for listening. And remember, always think for yourself.
0: Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.